Some years ago, I was called to the bedside of a man whose life would end in a few hours. He was conscious and thoroughly aware that his medical condition meant that he would die that night. As he clung to my hand, I asked him how he felt about his impending death. He looked into my eyes and said, Father, tonight I will meet God. I know that. I have only two questions as I die. Have I loved enough? Have I prayed enough? His questions cut to the core. In the end, what else matters? Have I loved enough? Have I prayed enough? Tonight, Jesus will show us how to do both. In the middle of the meal, Jesus rose from the table, and to the astonishment of the apostles who who sat in stunned silence, he began to wash their feet. The apostles were stunned for two reasons. Ritual foot washing occurred when a person first arrived at the home of the host, feet dirty from traveling on dusty streets in sandals. It never occurred in the middle of a meal. Moreover, foot washing was usually done by a slave and never the host of the meal. Yet here was Jesus leaving the meal and putting on a servant's apron, washing the feet of his students. You do not understand what I'm doing now, he said, but you will. He paid special attention to Peter. In the synoptic gospel accounts of this night, Jesus has already told Peter that he will deny him three times, despite Peter's macho refusal to accept that. I will never deny you. Jesus already knew that Peter would turn his back on him in his hour of need, yet here he is on his knees as a slave before him. In his denial of Jesus, Peter did no more and no less than you do and I do. Peter simply did not want to be acknowledged in public as a follower of Jesus. Surely not I. Surely not I, Lord. Surely not I. A conversation at work or school or at lunch turns to religion, and eventually something sa- someone says something about the Catholic Church or Catholic practices. A decision not, not to get involved with the discussion, in other words, a decision not to answer as a disciple of Jesus, lets the world know that we are uncomfortable being known in public as a Catholic. We stand with Peter, and we do not stand with Jesus. Our silence says, I don't want to be known as a follower of him. I don't want to acknowledge publicly or be acknowledged as one who knows him. Listen quietly in that moment and you might hear a cock crow. Sitting in a group that is gossiping about another or laughing at salacious and dehumanizing jokes, we choose to say nothing. Our silence cries out the truth. However, I don't want to be known as a follower of Jesus. I don't want to be different from anyone around me. Cock-a-doodle-doo.
A quick grocery line invitation to donate to cure a disease brings a quick yes or no answer. Despite the fact that the money will fund research that involves the death of thousands of human embryos. A quick yes or no is easier than giving a simple witness. It's a terrible disease, and I would like to support a treatment, but the research kills human lives in the process, and I can't support that. That's too many words to say. Instead, our silence says more. I don't want to be known publicly as a follower of Jesus. Cock-a-doodle-doo. How many examples can you think of? A priest once remarked that the truly brave person today is the one who makes the sign of the cross in public in a restaurant and prays grace before and after meals. A business trip over a weekend or a vacation without any attempt to find a local Catholic church? Not even trying to influence a business decision that you know is ethically wrong? Not walking away from the overt flirts and advances of someone who is not your spouse. In your own heart, we can complete the list. Moments when we stand with Peter and cowardly deny before others that we are followers of Jesus. Listen deeply for the cock to crow. But Jesus already knew that Peter would deny him. Yet Peter was subjected to nothing but pure love. Simple, outrageous, gushing, pure, spiritual, cleansing love. The same is true of Judas. Even though Jesus knew that the man who had dipped his finger in the bowl with him would stand on newly washed feet and walk away to betray his rabbi, his teacher. Judas passively allowed Jesus to cleanse his feet, even as he silently plotted his coming betrayal. Surely not I, Lord. You and I confess our sins. We passively allow Jesus to wipe them away, knowing that we have no intention to abandon those sins in the future. We feel guilty, but we won't walk away from our sins. We like them too much. If we had planned never to sin again, we would already have cleared our internet browser history, deleted files, thrown away the unhealthy food that feeds our sins before we came for forgiveness. In washing the feet of of even Judas, Jesus reaches into our private and unknown sins, the sins we hide by which we betray the claim to be his follower. Even Judas, with his hidden sin committed in darkness and secrecy, is cleansed, washed by love itself and offered love undying. We know his tragic response. He believed himself to be too far into his sin to be loved, beyond the reach of God's mercy. How wrong he was. He was loved. He would not accept it. Tonight, in the actions of a priest who stands in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, Jesus washes your feet. Though only a few will sit before us, 
No one here is left untouched, uncleansed, unloved, unforgiven, unwashed. Tonight we are washed in water. Tomorrow we are washed in blood. To heal a wound, the wound must first be cleansed, debrided. If not, scar tissue grows around the debris and holds it tightly in the wound, causing even more pain. Tonight, Jesus cleanses our wounds. Gently, lovingly, the caress of gentle Jesus removes the grime and carries it away, carries it on the way of the cross. The mercy of God washes our feet, our hearts, our souls, our thoughts, our actions, our decisions, our dreams, our memories, our plans, our fears, our griefs, our resentments, our doubts, our passions, our wants, our goals, our very concept of how ourselves and how the world has hurt us. We are cleansed. We are washed by one who loves us and serves us beyond reason. In John's Gospel, the memory of the Last Supper ends with what is called the priestly prayer of Jesus, a prayer for us who follow him and for our wholeness and our oneness. At the threshold of that prayer, Jesus washes our feet so that we can walk as cleansed and renewed followers, with feet cleansed by our Savior himself, whose own feet had begun the inexorable journey to crucifixion and death and an empty tomb. Our prayer is a response to the unworthiness of being present, to the inconceivable surprise of living immersed in mercy and life. Our prayer is a moment of being awake to the awesome majesty of God, bending low to caress our sinful, wounded selves. Have I loved enough? Have I prayed enough? Tonight, these questions pierce our comfort and deflate our pride. We cannot be arrogant and selfish in the face of a dying man who asks simple questions. But the answers are equally simple. No matter the measure with which I have loved, First, I am loved and made lovable by the one who made me and loves me the best. I am loved. I am cleansed. I am held in the arms of the one who spread his arms wide in a covenant written in blood and that forever has become the sign of perfect love itself. I am Loved. Have I loved enough? Have I prayed enough? No matter how fervently I have prayed, my prayer is always a response to the initiative of God forming me within my mother's womb, to the mercy of God in washing me of my sin, to the grandeur of God opening my eyes in wonder to a universe spread before me. Have I loved enough? Have I prayed enough? Well, love consists in this, according to the author of tonight's gospel. Not that we have loved, but that we have been loved. 
know that and thank God for that. And you have both loved and prayed enough for eternity.